Hey everybody, this is UB back with A Higher Future, joined by Nicole as always. Hello, hello. Hi UB, who do we have with us today? So we have uh, Sam Bertu, which I hope I pronounced that right. That's the Swiss France version (laughs) of Berthoud, which in Colorado we know is Berthoud Pass, Berthoud Mountain, right? So, um, and Sam is the managing director at the Recruitment Events Company. He's coming to us from a small seaside town just outside of London. Uh, hi, Sam. How are you? <laughs> hey, how are we doing? Um, uh, so first off, um, I didn't realize I was going to be on camera. Um, you know, maybe I would have went for an underground hairdresser um, for part of this. I've been, um, you know, ribbed all week by our guests um, for this, you know, mighty um, quiff that I've been rocking. But I've got no other option, um, unfortunately. So um, please do bear with this is not how I usually look. Um, <laughs> I wish but, I had that volume. Like, I don't. Yeah, I, me I too. Just have, right. <laughs> So it's um so yeah and, and I think um you know thanks for the intro and thanks for having me. Um you know awesome to to kind of see your journey um you know as an organization and as a business and um yeah great lessons on, on some of the episodes before this as well. So thanks for having me um on the show. Um kind of bit of background really um what I've done um since leaving university. I've had a brief stint as an academic researcher. Um it's incredibly boring. Um, when the kind of, you know, the area that I was working with, sorry, uh, you know, Dr. Mark Allen, um, you know, you continue. Um, and, I, and I think it's great what you're doing, but it, it wasn't for me. Um, and then fell into the world of recruitment resourcing and, and have been kind of in the beneficial place of being at events um, for the last um, seven or so years, hundreds of events, thousands of speakers, um, and just having the opportunity to learn, to listen, um, to understand from the coal face and, and from the thought leaders in this space, um, what's going on in talent, what's going on in the world of work. And um, yeah, hugely passionate about people and, and talent functions and, and their importance more broadly on the on the global scale. So um, yeah, feel, feel very lucky. Yeah, well, we're and that's why we're excited to talk because there's a couple of big things here. Um, but I, I think first, you know, when talking about events and talking about the pandemic, how what changed right for you all i mean you you're you know you you, you've had these amazing in-person events like you said hundreds thousands of attendees thousands of speakers boom COVID. so like what happened what changed and what's what's the future of just maybe the event industry in general yeah i mean what didn't change i think it's a good place to start it it, like it did turn on its head um you know if you were sitting in in our kind of zoom chats in march time Um, You know, we were a business that was centered on bringing people together in a single location um, and having them shake hands as frequently as they could with as many different individuals as possible, um, usually in quite tightly packed spaces, um, you know, watching talks or roundtables with lots of changes. Um, So probably the least COVID friendly um, type of engagement that you could have. Um, But actually, you know, it became a real opportunity. And I think, you know, the, the it's got parallels with the world of work in terms of that opportunity because all of a sudden the world was open. Um, you know, we went from 5,000 event attendees in 2019 to 20,000 in 2020. Um, and it's the sort of growth um, that you just couldn't have had um, physically. Um, and that kind of paradigm shift meant that not only were we reaching a larger audience, we had 120 Um, different countries attend our events in 2020 compared to kind of 20 
in 2019. Um, but equally, it wasn't just on the, the geographical distribution, it was on a national level, it was on an inclusivity level for people with disabilities, for people that couldn't access events um, before because they were carers, they were parents, they had work commitments. Um, you know, the list goes on and on and on. And actually felt a bit of guilt around not providing enough um, before we'd always make recordings of our events, but the challenge with content is the sheer volume of it, um, you know, particularly when it comes to, you know, industry niche content, um, that there's just so much out there. So cutting through the noise wasn't always our primary focus. Our primary focus was always physical events. So actually that digital shift just, you know, allowed us to go off autopilot actually, and it forced a change. And I think that forced change is, you know, that's what we see elsewhere, right? Um, not just in our world. You said earlier that the, this online element now of recruiting is here to stay. And, and it sounds like that might be paralleled in the way the work happens after the, after the person is hired as well. What do you have to say about that? Yeah, so and I think the way that we recruit, I think people were moving online. Um, and the way that we worked, people were moving online. Um, you know, there's no doubt that that kind of transformation was happening. Um, a quote from an event this week was literally the pandemic wrote the rule book. You know, it wrote the business case. It suddenly gave this after boosters to what was already a fast accelerating change. And, and now we're in a world where actually you're probably not going to it's irreversible in in some aspects i would say um you know when we think about recruiting when we think about that kind of opening part of the funnel you know it, it's so take grad recruitment for example um you know the whole campus recruitment piece for for a year stopped um will that return in the same way probably there will be an element of, of physical events but there's always going to need to be the same way as in events. We're always going to need to offer a hybrid, not just for the ease, not just for the kind of reach, but also from an accessibility point of view um, on an ongoing basis. And then, yeah, again, with you know assessment tools, with video interviewing, with remote interviewing, with kind of every single facet, every single part of the process has digitized to some extent, um, you know, over the last five, 10, 15 years. Um, and again, this has just accelerated it, the, the kind of adoption of technology. If you didn't have a video interview solution before March, you definitely had one afterwards. Um, you know, whether that was, you know, a tailored solution or in a chat like this online. Um, and then I think with the way that people work once people are within an organization, that part has shifted. Um, that part won't return, um, you know, in the same way, uh, you know, just from a bottom line impact point of view, which drives a lot of these decisions in the long term, you know, the real estate of an office is expensive. Um, those savings are, are there to be had. And I think businesses will look acutely at that. Um, but equally, that kind of shift to remote work, that balance, people are actually happier. Um, I saw a report, I think it was from Glint, um, that was saying that people in December last year were happier um, than they were December the year before. And if you think about all of the pressures and the stresses and everything that was going on, okay, they weren't happier in maybe the context of their wider life, but in the working world, people were happier. They were felt more valued, and particularly if they had escaped the kind of 
you know, dread of furlough or redundancy, you know, their importance to the organization was absolutely secure. They felt safer, they were more connected to their family. Um, they have more time to themselves. Actually, that little walk um, that you'd never be afforded if you were in an office in some organizations was kind of encouraged. Um, employee wellness, you know, was encouraged and, and, and kind of actively so. Um, so that, that piece, in some organizations, we could have been sitting here in the year 2300 and they would have had a structured HR guidelines book. You would have been sitting at your desk. You would have had pods. You would have been working in the same way that you've always worked. Um, and you would have been in the office between nine and five, Monday to Friday, maybe you know an early finish on a Friday if they wanted to have a little bit of a benefit over one of their competitors or, or something of the like. But, but now flexible working has been shown that it works. Um, you know, we had a test run. The world had a test run of actually, you can achieve this sometimes with toddlers, pets, children, partners, like if you can still achieve your work with your laptop kind of perched against your cook, like cooker and on the stove in the side <laughs> of your kitchen and you're doing a Zoom call and you've got everything going on behind you and you've not got great Wi-Fi, if you can still deliver in, in that environment, by the time you remove that friction, by the time you get people set up and people become attuned to it, you know, naturally, I think, um, you know, businesses would be crazy to, to turn back the other way. Well, what's interesting, to I mean, this, it, this gets us into this conversation about inclusivity, too. And if you think about accessibility advocates, right, they've been talking about this for years. And, and you know, like it can be done, right? The technology exists for people with disabilities to be able to work from home and, and just, you know, light, light accommodations can make that a reality. And, and all of a sudden it took everybody being thrown into that, that kind of lifestyle and position for it to, to take hold. Um, and so it's just, I don't know, I like it. It's, it's, it seems like it's, we're forcing the issue of inclusivity but in a good way, like it's, it's really kind of, Hey man, we had to wake up and, and realize like, this is the way it's going. Um, and I love that. I love that shift. I, I, that, that happiness uh, statistic is really interesting because um, I can see that I can probably, I can also see maybe a shift. Like for me, I loved getting out, you know, like I'm, I'm mostly a people person, <laughs> but you know, and I love, I love hanging out with people. I loved going to, to meetings but now I've gotten really used to this. And I, I think it makes me a little happier, honestly. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. So it, it's just fascinating. Like it, this, this conversation about inclusion, like it's now, it, it's now a priority, right? Like companies have to figure it out because it's, they're, for, they're forced to. And if they don't, well, then maybe they're gone. Mm -hmm. I, I think it, this long of a gap is probably going to help with that as well right um that there's going to be this period of assimilation and kind of getting used to it um but but like yourself um you know i enjoy being in front of people i enjoy that connection i think there's still going to be a hunger for it i think there's still value in it um but it's going to be kind of centered around important dates important reasons people are going to need to to feel the need to to go to meetings it's going to have to have that kind of purpose about it beyond just uh, okay we're going to run through a monday meeting or here's a you know a, a weekly meeting on x or y um but it does come with its challenges right i think slack paralysis teams paralysis um you know you you finish a call you go back you've got 80 notifications 
Um, you know, you're on a call all day long. You know, there, there's going to be a, a bit of a balancing act moving back, but it, it's definitely not going to be the normal way. Having everything on online, using technology for the recruiting, for the hiring, for the working, all of that, it, it suggests that we've probably been collecting ridiculous amounts of data now doing all of this. And, and from what you told us before we started this interview is that, um, especially in, in recruitment and sourcing, that data piece has become so critical and um, ubiquitous. It's, it's everywhere. Everyone is using data in, in talent sourcing. And so what does that mean for the employee or the would-be employee going forward? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think, yeah, when, when we think about data, you know, within talent functions, resourcing functions, people functions, uh, TA functions, whichever way you shape it, um, it's still relatively in its infancy. Um, I think there is a, a degree of kind of being overwhelmed sometimes by all the different sources that are available to you. Not only if you've got external data reports, of course, this is the way that many of the technology providers engage with new potential customers is by sharing, um, you know, great bodies of insight. Then you've got your internal systems, then you've got kind of, you know, peer groups that you might be part of that feed you other information. And then you've got that that hard data that's related to your organization. And in some organizations, you may have five or six ATSs um, globally that connect to one HSIMS. Um, And then within that, you've got you know, a myriad of different point solutions and each one of them plays in um, in a different space. And each time you're kind of applying or, or utilizing a piece of technology, it's making a decision and sometimes very arbitrarily on an individual. Um, when you think about that application part of the process, people are being missed out um, entirely because maybe their CV isn't formatted in the right way, or maybe they've not completed the application form or that, that kind of interview readiness or application readiness from a candidate's perspective, which is not something, you know, okay, there's lots of information online on, on how you can learn to do things, but often that's passed down um, or, or that's learned from people close to your network, which, you know, throws up all sorts of challenges for, for kind of underrepresented groups or unsupported groups or people living by themselves. Um, th- there's a lot of challenges around that. And, and all of a sudden you've got a system um, that's potentially making those decisions on a matching level or even earlier than that in the process in, in a sourcing, um, you know, kind of tool. And then every point of the process thereafter Uh, because of the sheer volume of applications you know we talk about some of the benefits of the pandemic um, the economic and societal impact we can't say has been positive in the same way okay from it from an ecological point of view there's probably been some benefits but economically it's been pretty tough for lots and lots of people and lots of people displaced from work application numbers are soaring um, you know beyond kind of levels that we've known before recruitment teams are stretched and they're smaller so they need to utilize technology and each time they apply something different if you're not interrogating it um, properly you don't know how those decisions are being made if you're not interrogating your suppliers on how they're building those algorithms that make those decisions based on those different data points again you could be losing huge swathes of people from the process um, And it does very little to contextualize somebody's journey in the same way that having a face-to-face conversation with somebody can do. 
somebody may not have the aptitude and the skills in the same way on paper, but then you meet that individual and you think, wow, this, this person just has everything that we're looking for in abundance. Um, but if you put the two things side by side, um, you know, they very rarely match up. And, and I think that's one of the challenges that we're going to be facing, you know, moving forwards. Of course, there's areas where, you know, assessments can be far more equitable and fair in what they deliver, you know, technical assessments on, on very precise skill sets within a particular area. Um, but again, even within, even within that world, you need that human input, that human interaction to say, okay, maybe they missed it by two percentage points, but if they just changed that bit there, um, actually they would have got hundred uh, percent, you know, on this whole piece and, and we would have taken them all the way through to the end. So it, it's really, really tough. Um, and even within the organization that throws up, you know, challenges in terms of internal mobility and, and, and everything else, it's yeah, huge. Yeah. I love, I love that. I, I think there, there, there's gotta be a balance. Like the future of work is balancing the tech and the data with, with the human um, because it, it, it feels like all we've been doing is, you know, we're, we're sold on, Oh, we're going to get a ton of data out of this. But what we've done is just, we continue to add to the blockade <laughs> that, that forces candidates to sort of play this game that they don't even know how to play to your point. You know, how many people have get the chance to learn, you know, Oh, well, it's, it's not what, you know, it's who, you know, well, there's a lot of people out there who don't know other people who are going to help them get a job. And so they've got to play the game and we force them to play the game. And all of this technology and promise of data, I think it just adds to that obstacle course. And, and so now it's like, yeah, we're, we're kind of have to, we're, we have to force ourselves to, to do a better, I like interrogation or evaluation of these candidates. Cause otherwise we're just leaving it up to fate. Honestly, is what it feels like, or we have been. Yeah. Um, are, are you seeing some ways of, of mitigating that data overload coming into the recruiting and talent sourcing process yet? I mean, it, it seems like it's, it's getting to a place where you have a lot of people having to race to really understand how to ask questions of their immense amounts of data that come out with good answers or else, you know, you're just swimming through data that is meaningless. Yeah. I think um, obviously the, the kind of application of teams that are specialized in that area, um, you know, has been a real change in the space, um, you know, over the last few years, you know, I remember, six years ago we were in a room with transport for london who had just kind of brought in a data analyst team and everyone at the table was kind of taken aback and thinking hey, you know how have you got the budget to just have people focused on data and that is now something which you know within large organizations in particular is well established now that that kind of understanding of, of your people data your people analytics those yeah kind of people that can assimilate is there a technology out there that brings that single source of truth. There's certainly a few that would claim it. Um, and then there's certainly been instances where data's a lot more visible. Um, it's a lot more controlled and, and you can get a better understanding. Um, but actually I think you see those organizations that you know, the, the RPOs, the MSPs that were espousing this kind of view of total talent management, um, you know, some years ago, that is in some cases coming closer to fruition in terms of that understanding of the skills makeup of your organization, understanding kind of where you can 
you know, build, buy, borrow talent from scenario planning based on the skills, the resources that you have over a longer period of time, that, that kind of strategic workforce plan that feeds into that, that kind of wider business strategy. Um, and I think people and talents place within an organization is only going to be cemented, um, you know, when they start to, to truly you know, utilize data. And certainly with the organizations that, you know, I've had the fortune of listening to and understanding from, you know, over the years that the successful organizations, the people that have that buy-in at C-suite level have a really good grapple and an understanding of the data. Um, and they have an understanding of their people and they have an understanding of where the business is going and people's role within that. Um, you know, people are the greatest asset. Um, you know, this was once something that sounded very, um, you know, philanthropic um, and, you know, very yeah. sort of um, lofty, um, you know, ambitions for, for tech firms um, that would say everything's about our people. But, you know, when the older juggernauts of business noticed the, the kind of input that one employee could have in organizations where that focus was put on the individual and the mix of different individuals coming together. Um, actually, again, that bottom line, uh, that's what that's what makes the impact. People think that's, you know, you put that much value into people, it's energy in, it's energy out, it's value in, value out, um, you know, in that regard. So yeah, that understanding then then runs in tandem with it and you know being able to showcase that evidence. Yeah, from a you know, from a plan. non philanthropic perspective, the <laughs> the people are super expensive. Like you're spending a ton of money on yeah. your people. So, you know, let's let's uh at least take note of the asset that humans are and and how how we can support that asset in, in a way that they they need you know just like you would do a machine you support the machine the way you need to support a machine to support the people the way that people need to be supported yeah it's those barriers, a lot of sense right um, <laughs> right <laughs> i think uh you know we, we've 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 got them um you know in abundance as as people um you know sometimes things with machines can be easier to remedy um you know particularly mechanical ones right you have the system of checks and balances i think it's a really nice way of looking at it uh, like a WD-40 um, for, for humans, you know, maybe wellness <laughs> programs, benefits, uh, that sort of thing. Oh, I love that. I mean, yeah, man, it's it's our time. It's people's time. Like, that's, you know, we, it's, it's, we, got all the, we got all the stuff that was easier out of the way, right? Like we how to build a company, how to build widgets, how to use machines and technology. And it's just taken us however many hundreds or thousands of years to figure out people. So maybe we're here. Maybe that's we the future fly. of work. We can we can send robots <laughs> to Mars now. Maybe right. we learn to treat our people well. Yeah, right. it's a bit, a bit of self care and a shorter working week. I think you know if, if um, you know futurologists <laughs> don't have a wonderful job, but you know to cast something out there, I, I think one thing that we will see, uh, you know, maybe not globally, um, but certainly OECD, um, you know, countries, and I hate that kind of blanket term, um, but but it does work well in this context. I, I think we will see shorter working weeks. Um, in terms of the number of hours, I think we'll see more productive time spent. Um, and I think that balance between, you know, work yeah. and, and life is going to be more in the favor of people after this, hoping so. Um, you know, I think it's, I think it's important, right? Yeah, I hope we don't Love just it. trade our old commuting time that we used to take to get into the office for more working time. 
that yeah. would I think, take us in the wrong direction. All right. Uh, yeah, it'd be I, nice I think... to flip it on its head, you know, like, because everybody hated driving into work. So let's use that time for mental wellness, right? Like, like flip it. Let's make that a happy time, <laughs> a caring time. There's so much opportunity, so much. Uh, yeah. Well, Sam, it's always great to see you, man. Uh, nice you get one. Couple, couple of weeks of lockdown. Like, what's the what's the status over there? Yeah, we got we got a couple of weeks left, um, and then uh, yeah, haircuts, um, restaurants, <laughs> uh, you know, beer gardens, um, all of that. Colored shirts. Yeah, yeah t- tentatively <laughs> and um, you know carefully, but. Um, you know, then also, you know, I think returning back to the office in in some way, shape, or form is, is beneficial for everybody. Um, yeah. You know, returning back to work as well. Um, you know, for, for a lot of people, as, as restrictions start to be lifted, um, you know, we'll see how we go. But tentative steps and, and cautious ones as well. Let's not, um, you know, we were we were all told globally that we'd be out of this at, at some stage, right? Um, in the summer of last year. So, um, try not to get too far ahead of myself, but. Um, well, there's yeah. a one one form of joy is relief. So relief feels just yeah. like happiness, and and so hopefully we'll have a worldwide sense of relief for at least a short time. Yeah, yeah. the uh, endorphins, um, you know, going off all over the world as as we see each other again. So yeah, Absolutely. no, what a nice happy note to end it on. Let's just hope. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the relief is on its way <laughs> in many ways. Well, thank you, Sam. Thank you, Nicole. Um, thank you, audience, for continuing to check us out. Um, as always, you know, you can find links to to the where we're hosting um, all of our episodes. So, a higher future, check it out. Thank you all very much. Take care. Thank you.